0: Several of y'all have, have uh, said that, that kind of how we've approached David and Goliath, how we've looked at these things has, has, has kind of shed a new light on the story and, and given you some new categories uh, in which to think. Uh, and that's very exciting to me. It's always exciting to a preacher when people are responding you know, positively and like, seem to be getting what you're saying. Uh, but one of the interesting things about this to me and this is true for me. When I first started thinking of David and Goliath in these terms uh, back in seminary and, and kind of started putting some of these pieces together and, and then started listening to some of the great hymns of our faith, like the one we just sang, which is one of the new great hymns of our faith, we start to realize we've been singing this all along. If, if you look at the, the third, no fate I dread, I know I am forgiven, the future sure The price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we're going to keep talking about and, and moving in in this, in this third talk to, to thinking about why does this matter for everyday life beyond just knowing the story? How does knowing the story, how does having a king that has kind of reestablished the story and reestablished us in that story, how does that begin to change how we live? So let me pray for us once again and we'll, we'll dive back in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the strength that you give us in your word. We thank you that you have announced to us that a king has been provided. A king that has conquered all of his and our enemies. A king that has conquered sin and death for us. And as we spend the next bit thinking about how to live in light of the victory that is ours in Christ, Father, I ask that you would help me to speak clearly. I ask that you would help me to speak directly to these men, directly to myself, that we might learn to walk in the victory that Christ has secured for us. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. So one of the the weird things about the Christian life is that we we live in this tension between what what theologians like to talk about is the already and the not yet. So Christ has already gained the victory. The battle is over. He has risen, sin and death, have been conquered, the kingdom has been inaugurated. But, we're not yet what we will be. We're we're, we're not yet there. We're not yet without sin in this world. Our flesh still shows up to fight. There is actually still a fight that we have to fight. But but we fight it now in light of the the fact that Christ has gained victory for us. We, We fight it now in light of the fact that we know the end of the story. When you watch a movie that you've seen before and you know where it's going, you notice new things in the movie because you know the story and you're not having to pay attention to certain things along the way. And, and so you notice different turns of phrase. You, you notice different things about the movie because you know where it's going. Well, th- that's kind of like the Christian life as well. When, when we know where it's going, which we do, if the gospel is true, and it is, if Christ is victorious, and he is, if death has been defeated, and it has, we know where this is going. We read the end of the story literally earlier. We read Revelation 19 when, when the, the, the birds of the heavens gorge themselves on the flesh of the kings of the earth that, that take their stand against the Lord and against His anointed. They're utterly defeated and left cursed, dead on the ground. We know where this is going. But it's still just an absolute incredible struggle, isn't it? That's what we're going to focus on in, in this last session, is following our king in victory. In this session, we'll, we'll explore what it means for the king to gain victory for Israel and how they followed their king in victory and how this story exemplifies the gospel and the Christian life for us. So we go back to 1 Samuel 17 once again. We'll pick up in verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead the stone the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground side note here somebody asked me about this um and I between sessions and I just wanted to kind of point out cuz it's interesting when you hear like David showed up with a slingshot. It's not like the little cheesy Silver Dollar City, you know, like kind of pea shooter type slingshot. Uh, th- this would have been, it wasn't just something that he had. This would have been a, a, a weapon that was kind of common in, in what would have equated to like the ancient cavalry. There, in, in the army, there would have been a whole bunch of slingers. And, and it was a little leather pouch with, depending on how tall you were, you know, a long string on both sides and you would spin it and then you would let one side go and the rock would, would fly. And, and a, a, a good slinger could, could hit, you know, from a hundred yards away and kill someone. I mean, so it was essentially like having a gun in battle back in the day so you would have guys that were that were armed with bows and arrows you would have guys that were armed with slings you would have guys that were armed with spears you would have guys that were armed with swords and you would have kind of these different stages of combat like kind of getting increasingly close together so so these slings were incredibly just accurate incredibly deadly weapons right that David was using sorry that was a side note I just somebody had asked and wanted to, to convey that. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. All right, now remember remember what had happened with me, okay? So Goliath for 40 days comes out all big and mighty, you know, in his serpentine armor and all of that and and you know tries to strike this new deal with the israelites if if i kill your you know your guy then we're y'all are our servants if you kill me we're your servants and and so he was proposing what, what's called single representative combat which we've talked about it was a common method of warfare uh because you you gained servants you gained slaves by it and you could you know build kingdom and all of those things but remember what david's response was David wasn't interested in prisoners of war. He wasn't interested in a workforce for Israel. Remember what God's command repeatedly was when they faced people in the land: it was wipe them out, rid the land of them. Right? It's it's this kind of admittedly brutal Old Testament picture of, of maintaining the purity of the church. And when you have the Gibeonites come and deceive them and kind of pull their trickery, they become a thorn in the flesh of Israel for a while. So that's why David wasn't interested in these people hanging around. So he's not interested in the deal that Goliath is trying to strike. Who cares about having a workforce? That's not what they're here for. They're here for for the promises of God that have been announced. So David, remember, responded to Goliath's proposition with, no, how about this? How about I kill you, and instead of just feeding you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, I feed your entire army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Right. So, So this kind of contract negotiation could go one of two ways. The Philistines could get a whole bunch of people as servants, or... They could die. Those were kind of the options. So David kills Goliath, and the people, the, the Philistines, it says, run. They take off. Because now they're thinking wait a minute, our champion is dead the fact that Goliath was still alive and had been a fighting man since his youth, it doesn't tell us how old he is, but he had been around. He had been playing this game for a while. There's at least a decent chance that the army of the Philistines may not have had to fight all that often. If this was their tactic, send Goliath out there, let them pick somebody. Goliath will kill him. Story over. Right. All of a sudden now, they find themselves... With a dead champion, and with, a, with the victor had said, I'm going to feed all of y'all to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So they take off running. And notice what the Israelites do. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shaariam, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Okay, notice, and we're going to go back and read the beginning of the story here in just a second, but I want you to notice when we read that, how... The the king being provided, and the king acting in accord with the narrative of the people of God, with the promises that God had made, and him re-announcing by his victory that narrative for the people of God, notice how it changes their behavior entirely. Let's go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered... They gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span and a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like all this stuff. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were scared because they knew they could do nothing. They couldn't accomplish anything. Even when when David goes out to fight Goliath, Remember what Saul does. He, he comes to him and he's like, You're a kid? He's been a, a, a fighting champion since he was a kid. Here, put on my armor. Like, you know, Saul was like, this isn't gonna work. This is I'm about to lose. This poor dad sent his son here to check on his brothers, and he's gonna, you know, he's going home in a body bag. This is not how I wanted my day to go. But then as soon as David goes and gets the victory, Israel's response is completely different. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. They had done nothing for themselves. But all of a sudden, The battle's over, the victory is won, and all they have to do now is follow their king in the victory that has already been accomplished for them. That's what the Christian life is about. Sometimes we think about the Christian life as trying to gain victory trying to gain victory over sin, trying to gain victory over our our enemies, trying to gain victory over the struggles of life. And that's where we come up with all of these just asinine ideas of like, go there and be a David and slay the giants in your life. The Christian life isn't about us gaining victory. The Christian life is about us walking in the victory that has been won by our king for us. And that changes everything. You're not being sent out to go gain the victory in your family. To go gain the victory over your sin. To go gain the victory at work. You're being sent out as men of the cross to live in light of the victory that Christ has claimed for you yes there is still a fight yes you're still going to fight with your sin yes your your flesh is still going to to wrestle with you and try to bring you down but you're not fighting from a place of needing to gain victory and that changes everything all of a sudden the christian life itself is about grace Not about you figuring it out and getting it right. When David had gained the victory over the Philistines, everything was different now. The war, it was over. The the deal had been struck before the battle. All that was left now was for the Israelites to walk in the victory that their king had gained for them. They weren't operating from a place of gaining the victory. They were operating from a place of the victory being final. And we are too. We are too. See, sometimes we we forget this and we start to think about sanctification and we start to think about the Christian life as us going and putting sin to death, as us going and trying to gain the victory. And, And what we do when we do that is we just chop the Holy Spirit off the Trinity. And we're like, there's the Father And he sent Jesus to die for our sins, and now you better go kill your sin. But the Bible presents a very different picture. The Bible presents a picture of the Christian life, that there's the Father, and He sent His Son to die for your sins. And His Son, with the Father, sent the Spirit to indwell you and to lead you in the Christian life and to put to death in you the deeds of the body. That's that's part of what the Spirit does. It's, It's by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body see all we're doing is walking in the victory that is already ours in christ jesus you're not if you are in christ you're not a slave to sin any longer you've been free. Sin is not the defining narrative of your life. The victory of Christ is. That's not perfectionism. That's not saying you'll never sin again. That's not saying the Christian life isn't a struggle. The Israelites still had to go kill the Philistines. They still had to chase them down. But they were doing it from a place of victory having been won. And you just fight differently. You fight differently when the battle's already over. Because you're just playing cleanup, And that's, that's what the Christian life is about. That's how we proceed in the Christian life. It starts with remembering that this is in fact our story. That victory has been won. And that all we're doing is walking in the victory that Christ has given us. Now the question is, how in the world do we do that? Super easy to stand up here and say that. What does that actually look like? Well, the Bible gives us kind of two different views of trying to pursue righteousness in in two different passages. In Romans 7, there's Paul's struggle with the law, right? What I want to do, I can't do, what I can't do, and I want to do, blah, you know, all that, right? And basically what Romans 7 is saying is, hey, the law can't accomplish in you what it requires of you. It can't. It's not why it was given. And, and, and that's why when, when Paul comes to that place in Romans 7, it's like, oh, what I want to do, I can't do, what I can't do, I don't do, and it's just like... What gives? See, when we try to approach the Christian life from a legal perspective like that, by by trying to, to put to death the deeds of the body by the law, that's where we always end up. Because the law can't accomplish in us what it requires of us. The other passage is Galatians 5, where we're also told that there's a tension. Galatians 5, beginning, uh, beginning in verse 16, we have the passage on, um, I, I deal with Galatians a lot, uh, on, on walking in the Spirit. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Every time I read this, it blows my mind. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Paul has just said in Galatians 5.1, you are called to freedom, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery there is the law. He then says in five thirteen, you are called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, so if we're not to run back to the law, but if this also isn't permission to indulge our flesh, then what is it, Paul? It's it's life in the spirit. It's life in the victory spirit, if we, can, if we can call him that, the spirit of Christ, our king, who has given us his spirit to be our helper, to be our guide. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is mind-boggling to me. But that's the difference in approaching the Christian life via the law, and approaching the Christian life via the victory of Christ and His Spirit at work in us. In Romans 7, Paul was brought to the end of himself. Who, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Why? Because the law couldn't do it. Christian life isn't about returning to the law. Look, I'm Presbyterian. We are all about the third use of the law. All about it. Sabbatarian. Like, not slamming on y'all at all. I'm not offended by it. You would never find a, a stained glass Jesus in a Presbyterian church. Like, we're, we're about it, Right? We're, whew, third use of the law, guide to righteousness, all that. But sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that the law can produce in us what it requires of us, and it can't. And, and we all do that. We all fall into that trap. And that's not walking in the victory that Christ has claimed for us. That's not walking in the Spirit. When we go back to the law for the Christian life, we will gratify the desires of the flesh because it can't do in us what we need it to. But when we walk in the Spirit, as mind boggling as it sounds, The Bible says we won't. We won't. So walking in the victory that our king provides for us, following our king in victory, is all about walking in the spirit of Christ. Living the life that he has empowered us to live. Well, what is that life? Let's go now to... Uh, Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. <clears throat> and I want you to know what, notice what the author of Hebrews says. For you have not come to what may be touched... A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What's the author of Hebrews talking about there? Mount Sinai. He specifically says to to his readers, to you and I now, in Christ, you have not been brought back to Mount Sinai. That's not where I brought you. Rather, you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all the earth, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've not come to Mount Sinai, Christian. That's not where Jesus has brought you. He's brought you to Zion. He's brought you to the heavenly party. He's brought you to life in him. That's what we're to walk in. See, we're not to go back to sinai as if it somehow now gives life or or keeps us alive we're to go to zion we're to go to the kingdom of god and that's what he says as he continues we get down to verse 28 well i'll just just read it all it's all just wonderful see that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It can't be. And it's been given to you. You've been included in that. There's nothing, there is nothing that will undo the church. It it drives me crazy, and some of y'all may have said this. Sorry. It drives me crazy when people say things like, we're one generation away from the church being undone. No, we're not. The victory's won. The battle's over. Christ is on his throne. We are part of a kingdom that won't be shaken. It's not going to happen. The church will not be defeated. The people of God will not be abandoned. The kingdom of God will not be toppled. And it's not up to us to keep it. It's up to us to recognize what we've been brought to. And the Spirit helps us do even that. This is why Paul says don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That would be like the Israelites after David won the battle, going back up their side of the mountain and going, well, now what are we going to do with the Philistines? It's over. It's over. The battle's done. Victory is theirs. What are they going to do with the Philistines? They're going to follow their king in victory and smoke every last one of them. That's what they're going to do with the Philistines. They're going to live in light of the victory that their king has won for them. What are we going to do with our sin? That's what we're going to do with it. I get it. It is a fight. I get that. But when we stand over here on this side of the valley, just looking at our sin, going, man, nothing I can do about that. Wish there was something I could do. Have we forgotten what Christ did for us? Have we forgotten that that He put death to death? That He conquered sin? that it's no longer our master, that that we're no longer enslaved to it, and that what he calls us to do is walk in the victory that he's given us. Again, we go back to Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's he telling us? Sin isn't the controlling narrative in your life anymore. It's not the controlling principle in your life anymore. And this isn't some legalistic call to holiness. Not at all. This is an announcement of the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what it is this is a call for you to follow your king in victory that's why we call you to not sin that's why we call you to repentance because that's what it is to follow your king in victory is to look at your sin and say no i don't have to do that anymore you're not the master over me christ is and he has defeated you I, my wife has been away for a week because of death in our family and she had to go and take care of her mom and and i just don't do well when my wife is gone at all My, my thoughts run all over the place like it's it's bad and and I literally, the other night, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm saying this to, to, to give you a real-life example. I literally lay in my bed the other night, plagued by, by all the thoughts that you're plagued by as a man when you've been away from your wife for a while, and I literally laid there just shouting them down, saying, You don't get me. I'm not yours anymore. I've been purchased by Christ. I don't have to submit to the lust. I don't have to submit to the despair. I don't have to submit to the fear. Because Christ has gained victory over it. Because Christ has subdued me to himself. Because Christ defends me. Because Christ restrains and conquers my enemies. I belong to the king who conquered. And the devil is silenced. Just like the Bible promises he will be. Resist him and he will flee. It doesn't master us any longer it'll try it will try and that's where we have to remember the narrative because in that moment you're faced with a new narrative you're alone take care of yourself blah 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 lie 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 that's not my story any longer christ is my story victory is my story and satan will at times answer and say yeah but you've screwed this up so many times don't act like G. no and that's where we go to romans 8 And I'm going to read this entire chapter, all 39 verses. Because I don't think, in my opinion, that there is a better description of what it looks like to remember the story that is ours in Christ and to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ than Romans 8. There is therefore now, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's your story But you don't know what I've done fair enough but Christ did when he hung on the cross There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be Against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus you dear Christian are not condemned And you have the spirit of victory dwelling in you. And that's the only way we can follow our king in victory. Is by the ministry of the spirit in us. Who puts to death the deeds of the body. Who reminds us of the true story that we are children of God. Who intercedes for us. That's how we walk in the victory of our king. Not by going back to the law that can't do anything to our flesh but provoke it. But by walking in the spirit whom you have. Whom you have. Sometimes In the Reformed world, because we get so weirded out by different charismatic things, we forget this reality. We forget that John Calvin was known in his day as the theologian of the Spirit. Because he understood exactly what Paul just announced. That the only way we can carry out the Christian life is by walking in the Spirit. By hearing Him. By being guided by Him who dwells in us. And applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ along with all of its benefits. We have victory in Christ. Our sin has been defeated. We don't have to live in fear of it because we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That's what it is to follow your king in victory. When you hear the false narratives... You return to what is true. You return to what the Spirit says is true about you. And you put the lie to the falsehoods that are being breathed out. Because Christ, by His Spirit, is in you. That's where the power comes from. You want victory over sin? You have it. You don't have to go get it. You have it. Because Christ gained it for you. You're free. And if you are free, you are free. Indeed, let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the victory our king has provided. We thank you that he has given our spirit. We thank you that we have been called to Zion and not to Sinai. We thank you that we get to walk in the victory of our king by your spirit the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. Would you help us to do that? Tune our ears to his leading, that we might hear him whisper to us, you are a child of God, that we might believe the narrative that is true about us, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We ask this in his most holy name. Amen.